This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. I'm so glad to be here. It's an honor. Haven't been able to be in anybody's pulpit for a good while. In fact, I was thinking about preparing this message. Kevin asked me, oh, I don't know, several months ago. And so I usually, during my career, I never had more than a week or two to prepare. So now I've had, I don't know, four, five, six months. And you're probably thinking, boy, this is going to be a gem. Uh, it's probably, probably not. <laughs> but anyway, um, it, it reminded me as I was preparing low these many weeks, what goes into preparing a message? And it's such an awesome responsibility. It's an awesome honor to be able just to present uh, thoughts that God, I believe, has planted in my heart based on my reading in his word and also my reading about his word from other people and their insights into it as well. So, first of all, before I get into that, I want to, to thank you, Vortex Church, for your support of our after-school program called TRIBE, Teaching, Responsibility, and Behavior and Education, the T-R-I-B-E. And we started that about seven, eight years ago. We've had to suspend it the last year, for mainly because of the pandemic and the, the school schedules and so forth. But we're working hard also to get a new director. And Shelly, I can tell you we may be close. I want to talk to you about that. Shelly Whitley was our director for seven years, and she just got tired of us, to be honest. But <laughs> no, that's not true at all. She was such a dedicated force in getting us started and keeping us going. But she took a job on the other side of the county, which made it not feasible to continue. So back to the message. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about some of the basics of the Christian faith. What are they? So I chose three topics today, and it's hard to find any that are, that are bigger than this or more important than this. So the three topics are salvation, healing, and love. So that's where I want to just begin today, to talk about those three things. Salvation is usually where we end. For us in the evangelical tradition, you know, the invitation, this is the beginning of your changed life, salvation. You come to be saved, as we call it. But I want to submit to you this morning that maybe salvation is the beginning of our walk and is, should be the beginning of our talk about Jesus and about living the Christian life and following Jesus. So let's talk about salvation a little bit. In the beginning, God created the world, okay? We know the story from Genesis. If you don't know it, you can read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. It talks about the creation. And we, we know a lot about the term original sin, don't we? Original sin. Do you know, you're familiar with that term? My eyes are just now getting focused to see that there are really people out there. <laughs> but original sin is... That term that we relegate to what happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. 
because God created the world in a perfect way. And he made everything in his image. He made, rather, us in his image. So original sin happened when the serpent tempted Eve, who therefore tempted Adam, and they committed the first sin, original sin. And we use that term in the application to, to our children, don't we? It's not long, probably around what has come to be called the terrible twos, that we see evidence of original sin, right, with our children, except for grandchildren, right, Shelley? We never see that in them. Uh, so original sin. But I want to talk to you today about original goodness. Now listen to what God said when he had created the world. And after every day of creation, he said something to the effect, or the scripture says something to the effect, that God saw what he had done and said, it is good. That's a little paraphrase, but he just pronounced everything good. So everything was good. That's John, or excuse me, Genesis 1.31. So God is in everything. He created everything. And sometimes we forget that, that God only created humankind, that he only created the man and woman, but he created everything. If we say that God is in us, then we also have to say, I think, that God is in all of creation, because that's the way he, cre he created it that way. So God is in everything. Now let's talk about, we talk about original sin and original goodness. Let's talk about forgiveness and unforgiveness. Living in a state of unforgiveness where we have not received it and experienced it ourselves is a repetitive thing because we keep going back to that, to that moment when someone did us wrong and it just lingers with us, it stays with us. And then we think about when we have done things wrong. I did something in high school. I mean, it wasn't a felony or anything, but it was, it was just a high school crazy thing. And I ran into somebody here in this town a few years ago that was uh, in my high school at the time, and 50, 45 years later, he still remembered it and laughed about it. And so, as I said, it wasn't anything that I would have been arrested for, but those were other things I never, did, never got caught doing. But anyway, <laughs> those are another stories for other days, all right? But uh, unforgiveness. And after he said something about it and laughed about it, my first reaction was to punch him in the throat because I thought, why do you keep bringing this up? But that's the way it works sometimes, doesn't it? So living in that state of unforgiveness is a kind of dwelling on our repetitive past. We replay it over and over again. And when Adam and Eve sinned, it says, and this is a paraphrase again, that God began to walk with them in the cool of the day in the garden. Now we talk about the incarnation, Jesus coming into the world, a God in the flesh. But what about God coming to walk with Adam and Eve? Maybe that was the first incarnation. Maybe the whole creation story is the first incarnation of God as he came to be with us, as he came to this planet to walk with us and to talk with us. And that's what he's doing with Adam and Eve, and he's beginning the process of reconciliation or salvation that would finally be culminated in the person and the life and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So 
this leisurely stroll, walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, reconciliation, renewal, the resurrection of hope, the resurrection not just of the body of Christ and, and our own resurrection at the end, but as uh, the old gospel song that our choir used to sing back in the day, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. And so heaven was coming down in the person of the spirit who walked with Adam and Eve. In Acts chapter 11, there's a great story of sort of the beginning of the New Testament church. Jesus has been crucified, he has risen, he has ascended into heaven, and one of his real solid followers, who didn't start out very solid, was named Simon Peter. And Simon Peter had been widely criticized in Jerusalem for going into the home of Gentiles and eating with them, which was forbidden by Jewish law. And so he went to Joppa. He had a friend there on this little coastal town called Joppa. In modern times, it's called Yafo, Y-A-F-O. The, the modern um, airport is near it, just a few miles away. But in those days, it was just a little fishing village on the coast. And it says, the scripture says that in the afternoon, he went up on the roof to take a nap. And I can just imagine old Simon Peter there uh, on the roof, the gentle breeze from the sea, the warm, gentle sun upon his face. But it says in Acts 11 that he went into a trance and he had a vision like a dream. And in that vision, there was a sheet. And on that sheet were all the animals of the world. And there was a voice that was saying, prepare your dinner from any of these animals. Eat anything that you see. And Peter objected to this voice. And he said, it's against our Jewish law to eat some of these animals. You know, the, the prohibitions against certain animals like pork or, or swine. So... The voice said, everything that God has created is clean to eat. And everyone that God created is fit to be associated with. At about that time, there was a knock at the door. And three men were there from Caesarea, which was just up the coast from Joppa. And these men said, uh, our master has asked us to come and bring you. And uh, the vision that this man had received was right in line with what God had, had been talking to Peter about. And he says, he, meaning Peter, will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. You and all your household. This message is going to come from this Jewish man named Simon Peter, a follower of Jesus, an apostle, who had been sent, who had walked with Jesus. That was the definition of apostle, someone who had walked with Jesus and had been uh, saved and had been uh, sent as a messenger. So Peter was that person, and he came to that house, and in reality, the vision came true. Salvation was brought to this man. Now, this was a Gentile man. And again, he had been influenced by that dream, that vision, that trance, while he was in a trance at the house of his friend. Now, 
I'm thinking, why did, how did this man in Caesarea feel the need? Feel the need for salvation. How did he know to, to ask this question uh, or to make this pronouncement? He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. So what did it mean to him? Why did he feel the need? Maybe there was an emptiness in his life. Maybe there was an unforgiving feeling that he had not been forgiven for his wrongs, that, that he was not willing to forgive others, and it created this conflict, this tension, this stress in his life. Why did you feel the need for salvation? Are you feeling it now for the first time? Have things been happening to you in recent days or weeks that have caused you to think, you know, something is wrong? Something is just not right. I have a friend who is an alcoholic. He's in his early 60s by now. I talked with him last week, and it was obvious that he had been drinking. We stay in touch, and even though uh, he has fallen off the wagon several times, we, we, he was one of the homeless guys we found over in South Charlotte a few years ago. And we have taken him to rehab a number of times. And one thing that we've said that we would not do is let him go, even though his behavior is not what we want it to be. But, but this guy is um, searching, and, and he told me last week when I talked to him, he said, Ronnie, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. I can't keep drinking. He's wrecked his motorcycle or his, um, what do you call the thing that's right below a motorcycle? Scooter, scooter or something, yeah. And so he's wrecked it, and he's lost his license years ago. But he said, I, I still have hope that I can do better, that I can be better. And that's what salvation is. It's, it's even when we fall, even when we fall down, we get back up, and all of these things take place. Some of you may have read a book that came out several years ago called Tuesdays with Maury by a guy named Mitch Album. Mitch is, was, and maybe still be sometimes, he's been on CNN in the past few years, but he was a sports writer for the Detroit Free Press. And he wrote this first book, he's written a few other books since, because he learned that his favorite college professor had a terminal illness. And so every Tuesday, hence the title of the book, Tuesday with Maury, because Maury was the professor's name. He would drive a long distance and spend the day with him. This happened for months until Maury finally passed. And so he remembers the last story that Maury told him uh, on his last visit. And he told the story about a wave on the ocean. And the wave was just having a wonderful time enjoying the sun, enjoying the wind, enjoying the, the up and down as it went through, uh, passed through the ocean. And then suddenly, he panicked, and he saw the, the waves in front of him crashing against the shore and being destroyed in his mind. And so he said, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to me? Look, that one is no longer. And another wave said, you just don't get it, do you? You're not just a wave, you're part of the ocean. You're part of something much bigger than yourself. You see, we get knocked down. But the point is, and the, the lesson of the story, is that we get back up, and we continue, and we move forward. 
And this is a good description, I think, of salvation. It's not always the way we want it, this changing of our path, this getting back up and getting started. But salvation can be described as getting back up every time we crash. Now let's talk about the second one, which is healing. Healing um, is something that's been on our mind for the last year and a half. Through the pandemic, we, we've heard of people who, who get sick and get better. We hear of others who got sick and, and never recovered. I've had a couple of friends that that happened to. But here's um, something I want to, to say to you this morning. I think the pandemic brought out the worst in us as a society, as a culture, as a world. But it also brought out the best in us. And I think that's called healing. When we experience either physical or emotional or mental ailments, we have two ways to go. We can get worse or we can get better. I want to give you an example of, that's from the scripture about healing that comes through suffering. In Romans chapter 8, verses 16 to 18, it says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now think about that, that the glory that will be revealed, even in the midst of our present sufferings, there is glory coming. In recent years, and I may have said something about this the last time I spoke here, a little light bulb went on and as I was thinking about this, and I thought, they've probably heard this before, but a few years ago I discovered the, the root word of the word religion. We think of religion in a negative way sometimes. But religio, or it comes from the word religio, which is, I think, a Latin word, and it means to reconnect, to reconnect. Legio is, uh, if you notice the little phrase in there, L-I-G, where do we, else do we find that word? We find it in ligament, the tissue that holds our body together, basically. So it helps us to connect. And so religion means to reconnect. So, but it must lead to, when we reconnect with God, it must lead to a depth and an honesty. People talk a lot today about fast food religion. That we just grab something like through a drive-thru. I stopped at uh, Wendy's in Locust a few, well, last week one day. And the line was wrapped around twice around the building. And I'm thinking, does, not, does do people not eat anything but fast food? And then I realized that I was in that line, so. <laughs> <laughs> but we know, what was it, somebody a few years ago spent 30 days eating only from a fast food restaurant. 30 days. It wasn't that Jason guy that ate at Subway and lost all that weight. This guy almost died. He ate nothing but burgers and, whatever, and fries and shakes and all that stuff from one of the most popular um, fast food places. 
and he literally almost died. His blood pressure was off the charts. His cholesterol was off the charts. His weight, he had just ballooned to 100 pounds more than he was, maybe not totally 100, but close to it. And so that's not good for us, is it? It's not good for us to have fast food all the time. It's also not good for us to have fast food religion that has very little depth, very little nutrition, that is actually bad for us because it leads us to think, <clears throat> leads us to think that, that uh, we have a God worldview when in reality we do not. We have just received something and adopted it and brought it into our lives and it really is not healthy. And basically what it does is that it avoids God. It avoids any deep, honest relationship with God. We just grab and go without application of anything healthy to our lives and in our lives. So I think um, the best spirituality should be underground in our lives. That it's not something we do for show, but that we keep it underground and allow it to grow and, and become something that is a part of us to be foundational in our lives. This kind of spirituality that changes our life and is a life-changing experience. So when we bring things above ground, like I'm talking about our spiritual practices like prayer and contemplation, meditation, fasting, when we bring these above ground, worship, giving, when we bring them above ground, it becomes the thing that, that tries to define us, or we're trying to define ourselves by those things. But if we keep them underground, then they grow, and they grow deep. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 7 to 10, it says, In order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, the riches of, of his grace, which to me denotes going deep, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, creating in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's a story about one of our tribe students. I'm not going to call her real name, but let's just call her Samantha. It's a short story, but it is so important to what God has been doing in our tribe program. Someone sent me a couple weeks ago a photograph of this young lady on, that had been on Facebook. And she was graduating from Stanley Community College. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? And we wouldn't have given her much chance a few years ago. Not at all. But you see, that's, that's the beginning of a heat, or it was a beginning of a healing for her that culminated in a graduation from college. Now that's powerful for that young lady because the direction of her life was totally changed because a lot of people cared. And a lot of people worked with her, even when it wasn't always easy to do so. 98%, scientists tell us, of the atoms in our body change every year. 
98%. You see, God had established a pattern in the way he created us, a restoring, a renewal, a resurrection, if you will. He didn't wait for the resurrection of Jesus. He proceeded to embed in our bodies a DNA so that we are renewed. Our body is being renewed year after year. But of course, disease comes in and things change. In John 1.14, I love the message translation because this is how I think this restoration takes place. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that beautiful? The old traditional translation says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us or tabernacled with us. Even matter is inhabited. God created all the animals. He created the, the oceans and the, the heavens and the earth. So God is in the rocks even. Remember when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and the people were, were recognizing who he was and they were bowing before him and spreading the palm leaves in his path. And of course the religious leaders didn't like this because they had put God in a box and they could not understand anything outside that box. And so they criticized Jesus. Tell them to stop, they said. Tell them to stop praising you. It's, it's, it's sacrilegious what they're doing. And Jesus said, if they don't shout what they're shouting, even the rocks will cry out. So think of God not just being boxed into a religious structure, but think of God as everywhere, in everything, even in creation. Not just a beautiful sunset, not just a beautiful mountain vista, but think of him even in the rocks and even in the most mundane of things. Jesus heals. And when he heals, he doesn't just say, come and join my religion. You know what he says to most people he healed? Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go and participate. Go and cooperate. Go and change. Be an agent of change in the world. Salvation is not just an individual thing. It is a group thing. It is a community thing. Join with others. Participate with others in a community of faith. And you can change the world. And then the last one is love. It's last but not least. Paul said, you remember, faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I'm not sure that there is a progression here from salvation to healing to love, but it seems to be in my mind, and I don't think there's anything wrong with thinking of it. We start with salvation. We experience healing. And then we share, we receive and share the love of God. So love. There are people who have such kindness and such friendliness and such an inner beauty that we don't have to work very hard to love them. In fact, they almost make us love them. I've been married to the same woman for 52 years. And the things that attracted me to her in the beginning were mostly her beauty. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I didn't know anything about her kindness and her gentleness and her sweet spirit. 
until I got to know her better. But it didn't, didn't take a lot of work to love someone like that. And you probably have people in your life, family and friends, you don't have to work at loving them. But there are others that you do have to work real hard at loving, right? You don't have to call names, but I know you have people like that in your life. So I didn't initiate that love with my wife, but she drew it out of me through the years. In the beginning, it was probably honestly a physical attraction, but she drew out the deep abiding love through the years. So love is so powerful. But loving the, the difficult people has to be done with the love of God living in us. The salvation, the healing that we've experienced leads to us being able and being capable of loving others who are otherwise unlovable. We're loved by Jesus. We experience that love. And then we reciprocate by loving others and passing on his love to others. Jesus comes and, and takes up residence in our lives, became flesh and blood, and moves into our neighborhood, resides with us. Paul said, Christ in me, in me, the hope of glory. The love of God in us knocks down that disdain we would have for other people. It knocks down the suffering and the evil that we so abhor and causes us to look at it in a different way, even to discover that everyone can be lovable and everyone is loved by God, and the result is healing. God in us. The ancient Christians had a term for it, imago dei, the image of God. And the church also, I think, is created in the image of God. And we live into that image, even though we have failed. Someone has said that love is like water. It always goes to the lowest place. In my neighborhood, I walk two or three miles a day, most every day. And next door to my neighborhood, there is this massive building going on in the Locust Town Center. And so I walk through my neighborhood through a little path, which is going to become a uh, go-kart path in the future, I understand. And I walk into this new development that's going on. One thing I notice right away is that down in the lowest place of this huge field that was there before the construction started, there is a drainage pond. And there's another one off to the side as the, as the topography slopes down. And these ponds are created in order to catch the water, which is always flowing down. It's called gravity, isn't it? And love is like that. Love goes to the lowest place, to, to where the, there is the most sin, there is the most evil, there is the most poverty. Love goes to the lowest place. Over a year ago, last March 2020, as Kevin said in the video, we do a lot of work in Roatan, Honduras. Roatan is, a, is an island that's part of Honduras, four miles wide, roughly by 40 miles long. 100,000 people live there. It's a resort island 
but behind the resort and the cruise ships that haven't started going back yet, but when they're in full throttle, there is a lot of uh, activity, but there's also a lot of poverty. Some of the worst poverty I've ever seen in the world. And in that poverty, we have tried to bring hope. Those with uh, spiritual and material poverty. We've also learned a lot. We've learned a lot about how to deal with, with adversity and with suffering by just observing these wonderful, sweet people that God loves. One day, last March, I got a call from a lady named Nydia with whom we work, and she's kind of a coordinator for some of our projects. She's just, I just it's hard to describe Nydia. But she called, and she was almost in tears, and she said, they call me Papa Ronnie. Papa, uh, Papa Ronnie, she said, and that's what my grandkids call me, and so that's a long story, but it's not like I'm the Pope or anything. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she said, Papa Ronnie, I don't know what we're going to do. The island is shut down. No uh, cruise ships are coming. No planes are coming, bringing tourists. And people are going to starve. They're literally going to starve. And I said, Nidia, what can we do? Count me in in whatever plan you might have or we can come up together with. As we talked for a good while, we decided to do a, a food bank. And she said, Roatan has never had a food bank. A food bank being a place where people can go and get food when they're experiencing hard times. And so we started a food bank. And she said, I have a people that I'm, I have a number of people that I'm going to send out a, a message to by Facebook or, or email. And turns out that these were people from all over the United States that she had gotten to know through the years from some of the tourists who would come. And there was one lady from Arizona, for example, who asked somebody, I want to help with the poverty here. She was on a cruise ship. And the, her guide immediately said, you need to contact Nydia. And so Nydia is that kind of person. She's kind of a magnet for, for poverty, people in poverty. And so we started this food bank. We sent it out in our newsletters and on Facebook and so, other social media. And we started getting donations, a few hundred dollars here and there. And then it grew into the thousands. And last week we sent a check. It's kind of dwindle down now. It's not as much nearly as it used to be. We had sent $110,000 to this food bank. And it's beautiful to see the photographs. And I could just see this in person because she helps us with our distribution of water filters. But the, some of the photographs were like a giant soccer field. It wasn't, but it was a huge open field. And she had, you could see everybody lined up in files because this is the kind of organizer she is. It wasn't just a chaotic giving out, but, but the few days leading up to this distribution of food every week, she had volunteers, 15, 20, 25 people. She was able to get people with trucks uh, to come and haul the people. They donated their time, their gas, their vehicle, and they would haul the, uh, the food to the people. And so that was a healing that was going on, but it was also a healing that led to an act of love. And she's still handing out food. My family and I, several members of my family and I, are going down June 19th. We ask for you to pray for that trip because these are members of my family. There are three teenagers. 
there is uh, my granddaughter and her husband and my daughter and her husband. So I'm, I just want to expand their territory, as the prayer of Jabez said, if you still remember that. But here's what happens. Gideon received a, a message one morning, and it said, it's kind of broken English, but it says, good morning, Miss Nidia. Girl, this morning I am so hungry and want to ask if you donate, how, if you have a couple of eggs to donate or hot dogs with a little pound of rice I can cook to eat. I just went to bed last night with tea on my stomach. My daughter promised to send me a few limpiras, but tomorrow and late in the afternoon, any little thing you could do today would be a great blessing, sweetie. And thanks very much for my bugging you. So many, and then Nydia added her own little note at the end of that. She said, so many of these messages I wake up to. I am so happy that I hold on to some of the cash like that we send to cover messages like these. It's heartbreaking to find these each time I open my eyes in the morning. You know, we have a safety net in this country, but most countries don't. We have a safety net of poverty for people in poverty, for people who are hungry. And there are a lot of reasons that Honduras doesn't. But to be able to be a part of, of something like that, to heal someone's hunger, gives us an opportunity to demonstrate God's love. Because Jesus fed the, the hungry, if you recall. Years ago, I preached a sermon, and I started off, and three or four or five minutes into it, I just said, would y'all excuse me, I, I just need to step away, step out for a moment. And everybody looked at each other, and I said, just talk among yourselves, I'll come, I'll come back. So I went to my office, and I changed clothes. This was in the day when everybody wore ties and coats to church. And I changed from my tie and coat into ragged clothes, put on an old cap, came out looking for all the world like a homeless person. And so the first thing I asked was, you know, I was walking by here, and I'm homeless, and there weren't many homeless people in Mission community, if you know where that is. It's not exactly an urban center. And I just saw the cars here and saw the people inside as I glanced inside, and, and I just wondered, what are you doing here? What is this? And there was silence for a long time, as probably I would have been or most of you would have been. But then people began to talk. Well, this is a church. Well, what's a church? What do you mean by church? They tried to describe what church was as worshiping God and assembling together in order to do so. People were quoting scripture here and there. And so I said, well, is this all you do, just come and meet on Sunday? Well, no, we do other things. One lady knew exactly how much money we gave uh, through the cooperative program, it was called then. And so she said, we give to missions all over the world. Some people said, well, we are also involved in missions and started naming some of the things. We visit the shut-ins and all that kind of stuff. The church, well, my point is that it was a little bit awkward for people to be answering that question to a homeless man or to someone they perceived as one. 
William Temple said, the church is the only society that doesn't exist for the good of its members. Think about that. When we start to exist only for ourselves, then we're no longer the church of Jesus Christ. Everybody is God's somebody. Everybody is God's somebody. I want to tell you, before we close, a, a story about two ladies. I'm going to call them Jane and Joan. Again, not their real names, but they're two of the ladies and, and homeless people we've been working with for several years over at the corner of South Boulevard and Tavola, Woodlawn, and that area, if you're familiar with it. And we just, a long story about how we started going out there, but anyway, they would come every time we would go, which then was about once a month, and we wouldn't bring any clothes, I mean any money, but we would bring some clothes, especially in the warm weather and cold weather. We would bring a little bit of food, <clears throat> because they have no place to keep food. We would bring clothing items, <clears throat> like socks, and gloves, and toboggans. We would bring things that we thought were needed. And so, Jane and Joan would come every time, and we developed a friendship with them. And over time, they were living in a tent behind a, a roofing company. And over time, they began to have health problems. I think there were some mental issues going on with at least one of them. So there was healing that needed to be done. And our goal became to bring healing to them. They lived in a tent together, and, and finally, Charlotte Urban Ministries found an apartment for them. They were like a two-year waiting list. And they moved into this apartment and were so excited, but they didn't have a, a, anything to put in the apartment. So we scrounged around and found furniture wherever we could. We bought a, a washer and dryer at the local Habitat Restore. And it took us about three weeks to find somebody that had the time to take it over there. And this is not in the best part of Charlotte, but to them, it's a castle. There are a lot, when, when the guy finally said he could take, uh, use his trailer to take the washer and dryer, I said to him, don't be surprised by anything they say or anything you hear from them or how you think they might look. They were in poverty, spiritual and material poverty. So why do we do things like this? Why was I able to get a dozen volunteers to take turns going over there? Because the love of God was in them. Having received that love, now they pass it on. Isn't that what we're called to do? Isn't that the essence of who we are? To recap, salvation for ourselves and for others whatever kind of salvation or whatever experience of salvation, whatever degree of salvation or level of salvation, we share it. And then there's healing, which is, in essence, working to restore us back to original goodness, to our original goodness. And then love without condition, without judgment, and with forgiveness. Would you bow with me for a moment as just a, a closing 
meditation. I don't know where you are in your walk with God. But he has come to you. Maybe in the music or the words today, you have felt his presence in your life. Or maybe you have a growing awareness of God working in your life. Maybe you're experiencing some healing. Or maybe you know that you need to experience it. And maybe you're not feeling the love. Or maybe you are feeling it and it's growing stronger and stronger. Staff at this church and I'm sure others are willing and ready to help you to take the next step. Heavenly Father, we pray that whatever thought, whatever movement someone is feeling in their life about you and about love, healing, and salvation, that they will realize the need to take the next step in their life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.